This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebounding Safety. Today is episode two of our quarterly co-host. Let's jump into the intro. I'll tell you some more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risplu. What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin so if you're new here hit that subscribe button and the bell and all those other things follow whatever it is on the platform that you're listening slash watching on we really appreciate it today's episode two of a quarterly co-host so the amazing crystal is back today we're going to talk all about authenticity being authentic the challenges of authenticity what it's like how do we do it are we comfortable are we ready loads of stuff however as a bit of a warning to this we had to re-record this episode. We're going to talk about it in the episode. We had to re-record it, unfortunately. Something went wrong with my audio, and it was horrendous. Um, this one's hopefully better. <laughs> um, but it was 8 o'clock at night, and it was a Friday. So me and Crystal, we were on the wine. I'd had a couple of beers as well before because I was on holiday that day. We think it was an amazing conversation, but hopefully it came out as an amazing conversation because we might not know. No, we weren't really that drunk. We weren't even drunk. We just had a couple of drinks, um, loosened our lips a little bit, and we had a little bit of a chat. Uh, so hopefully it's better, um, because then you'll tell me, drink more on podcasts. No, that's really bad for my health. Don't do that. Let's hope it's all right. Let's just hope it's middle par. Not the best, not the worst, pretty good. Something maybe every now and then. Maybe we do a mini-series of Drunk Safety, uh, which you know I've been talking about a few times. I really want I really want that to happen. So if you're up for that, like Drunk History, Channel 4, if you're not sure about it, go check that out. If you're up for that, let me know because I'm keen. I am very keen. Before we get into the podcast anyway, let's do a quick shout out to Paradigm Human Performance plus Shane Bush. They are human organizational performance experts, hop experts. So if you're in a position in your company where you feel like you need to take the next step, you need to understand humans and how they work and all of those contributory factors to these events that you're having in the workplace. If you want to become better at learning, you want to manage organizational drift better, then Paradigm is the place for you. Experienced in so many industries, uh, from high risk to kind of normal work, whatever you want to call that, working with some phenomenal clients already. So go check them out uh, if you're looking for support on that. If you're still not sure, go check out the Learning Organization webinar on their website as well. All the links, phone number, email in the description below. So go and check that out. Without further ado, let's get into episode two of our quarterly co-host with Crystal Danbury. Right, Crystal, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, mate. That's all right. Come on, let, let's be upfront and be authentic. This is not the yeah. first time we've recorded this. Is it? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The uh, audio was um, garbage on the um, first recording, so we're going again. It was my bad. It was my bad. We Something happened to our compressor. That, I sound, that makes it sound like I know what I'm talking about. I do not know what I'm talking about. Basically, <laughs> this thing is plugged into a desk thing, and at some point, the desk thing went from making me sound fucking awesome to sounding really like, like that. And I was like, oh, my God, 
Oh no. Oh, and I was like, so the first one we managed to ed, like post edit it and get it okay. And I'd, I, we'd spotted the mistake before we re-recorded the, the last one, but this one fell at like the worst period. So there was this okay. and Jill Kernick were re-recording as well because they were just, we couldn't do anything with it. I was literally on audacity, not audacity, that's what you see, I was on audition, like effects, playing around with it, and we just couldn't get anywhere. And I was like, fuck it. We've got to go again. we got to go again. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So being authentic, this is not the first time I've done it. I'm going to be uber authentic and say it's 20 to 9. Oh, yeah. Wine. And I've already yeah. had a couple of beers. So I've got no idea who's going to go. <laughs> and do you know what? Joining you, Happy as Larry, Friday night. My baby is in bed. It's just us. And I've got myself a glass of wine as well. So I'm happily joining you, pal. It's going to be like the most authentic, authentic <laughs> podcast about authenticity, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any inhibition dropped halfway through and they just said it how it was. I mean, that's pretty much us to date, really. Yeah. We are quite straight talking. Um, which I think was why this topic of authenticity is like, you know, something I care really passionately about. And I know you do too. Yeah, definitely. I think Sherry's going to come to edit this and be like, James, I can't understand what you're saying. And I'll be like, oh, no, the mic bad again. And will be like, no, both of you are just like, uh, hey, uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. That is a podcast I would listen to. Yeah, I've been, honestly, I've been saying this for ages. I, did you ever watch Drunk History on Channel 4? Yes! It is the only reason I know anything about history. It's the best thing. I want to do drunk safety. I want to get <gasps> six people. The rule is you have to have had at least two or three drinks before you log into the podcast. And then Three beers, two shorts. That's the minimum. Oh, two shorts as well. Because they got pissed on that show, like proper pissed. I want to talk about like culture, safety. <sighs> human organizational performance with like loads of awesome people i need it quite a few drinks i think it'll be the best content ever we could call it drunk culture oh that's even better yeah drunk business drunk culture drunk culture yeah. <laughs> that's better i've got to make this happen i've been talking about it for about two years and it needs to happen now should anyway. do it in cork yes yes definitely right on the anniversary Let's do you. Um, it's been a while, so fair play if you if you slip up a little bit here. But do you want to introduce the concept of what we covered in this quarterly co-host, what we spoke about in the last one as well, and then what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, of course. So the theme for this this quarter is the the three cornerstones of um, safety culture, and the first one was looking at psych safety and what role that has to play. <clears throat> excuse me, in sort of risk and culture. This one's about authenticity and its role, its role in culture change. And then the third one that will be coming out is about the safety team and in the modern day, what that should really look like. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the three typical things. I remember you asked me when I proposed the three topics. They're the three things that I tend to look at when I go anywhere is how psychologically safe are people? And do we need to change anything? How authentic is the safety team? How authentic is the leadership? And then what does my team look like? And that's kind of where I start. That's the basics, really, of how you create change. So what does, what? Let maybe let's start with what is authenticity in your opinion, and then maybe my opinion as well. I think authenticity, if I was going to just try and 
define it it's it's being you to a vulnerable degree being really authentic about your thoughts and who you are and um and there's something in there about just being really honest it is about being honest about who you are we meet lots of people and I know we were speaking earlier you meet lots of people in life that are sort of the car salesman or doing their job because it's what their JD says and I don't feel that that's honest right and I think somebody that's being authentic is honestly where they should be saying what they're saying being who they are because it matters to them it is who they are yeah it's kind of like being it's being yourself isn't it being comfortable to be yourself um, mm. do you, do you think, go on go on do you think do you think the word comfortable i mean being authentic sometimes is very uncomfortable that, that's kind of where i was going with this actually the next question is like is the world ready for everyone to be authentic was what i was going to ask because it, it can be really uncomfortable like i'm thinking of some of i don't, I don't even know whether they're authentic but like God, and I think true authenticity is a real challenge because I'm not sure anyone, like I'm quite, an, I pride myself on being quite an authentic person. Yeah. There's still a lot that, there's still a lot that people don't know about me and that that is that personal and sits where, and there's still a certain, there's a, still a certain mask on that, that, mm-hmm. that this podcast and, and everyone will have. It, it is as authentic as I can allow it to go, but I, I think that being authentic, there is a part of me that's still not, not like now nah, that ain't that ain't coming out. Yeah, that stays. I'm, I'm making it sound like I'm some kind of weirdo or some. I've got dead bodies in my basement. It's not like that. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think I, I was thinking about this the other day actually, and I think authenticity. It, it I, I think it, it's like, um, and I have not thought about this analogy all the way through. But there's something in here about different forums, different places, different spaces. And it's really natural to think about what the audience needs to be able to receive your message. And we were actually talking about this, about what what you wear, right? right? And about women and like, you know, turning up in your joggers. And is somebody going to look at me and go, she's been doing culture change for 20 years and she's exactly what she's doing. Why is she wearing sweats then? And trying to sound all professional and it jars. Um, and I think there is something about if you really care about what the audience needs to receive your message and what you need to land your message and create the change, sometimes you have to polish the diamond. Mm. Um, and actually at home, you can be the real rough edge. Um, and I always like liken it to like my nan knows who I am backwards, right? I don't swear in front of her. right? <laughs> I wouldn't dare. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I think authenticity, there's something in there about just being really real with who you are, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't let yourself shine in certain scenarios. And if that means dialing something down, like, is the message more important? I, I, I think back to your question, is the world ready for everyone to be authentic? I don't think so. The only real time that we celebrate authenticity of people that are quite off the wall and not typical is when they've already become a billionaire, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, anyone that wants to do it differently. It's all safe because, oh, they made a billion. So now they've proved that their weirdness is okay. Anyone doing it before that's mental. Um, So is the world ready for true authenticity? 
I don't think so. Um, not in a work aspect. And I think actually, really, this might be going a bit deep. I think really in society, we're only just getting used to non-traditional roles. We're only just getting used to men saying, I really want to be a stay-at-home parent. Um, we're only just getting used to having people really air their true wants um, culturally. So, and getting out of all the sort of stereotypes. So I think authenticity is something we're breaking into. Um, and that's kind of, I think that's happening now. Well, there's a lot there to unpack. I, <laughs> let's not go down the, the dad's thing because we went there in when you came on. We the, did. We did. We, we took, we ticked that box and, and I could get on my high horse. I get really pissed off about that. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, that, that is a big, that's a soapbox for me. So let, let's take that. Mm-hmm. And leave that let's steer. Yeah, let's leave that out the way. Let's um let's get into maybe this this clothing thing because it's interesting that this came up naturally in our little pre-chat as we were catching up yeah. to record, and also it's come up now again. It's it, it's fascinating because actually I was watching a t- I was on TikTok right the other day because I'm I'm apparently an older person on TikTok. Oh, 100% percent, me too. Yeah, it's, it makes me feel really old. Uh, so I'm 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 watching TikTok, yeah, because. I'm chasing dopamine, <laughs> as you do, and, 100%. and uh, should we go to sleep? It's midnight, and um, so I'm chasing dopamine. And this one come up right, and it was this guy who was um, a day in the life of his job in New York. And I'm a little bit addicted to like New York. I used to love Casey Ni- Casey Neistat. I always say his surname right, wrong. He used to like do daily vlogs and, and shit like that, right? So I was watching, and I was like, oh yeah, watch this guy. And he said something that really piqued my interest. He went. I wear a full suit every day because I consider it mindless dressing. I don't have to think about it. Um, I just, I just put it on. And I was like, and it's really fascinating because I've been a big fan, but have not managed to do it mainly because of my job and society and how people view you. I'm a massive fan of a very minimalist uh, uh, wardrobe of just like T-shirt, you know, very Mark Zuckerberg, plain T-shirt, chinos. That's it. Yeah. I'm a fan of it. I, I say that, but I also like going to a wedding and getting proper dressed up in my kilt and everything. But yeah, nine times out of ten, I just want to wear like a, a t-shirt and that's it. And mostly it's because it's mindless. Like I just want to be minimal, don't want to think about it. I just want to chuck it on. I haven't got time to think about what to wear today. And he was like, a suit is he considers it as mindless. And I was like, Wow, that's interesting. And then I was like, Okay, so he's wearing that to be mindless, and I'm wearing a t-shirt and chinos to be mindless. But we both go for a job interview, and we're both equally qualified. Who gets the job? Him, not me. Guaranteed. Yep. The um, Paul Rue. Have you seen? He does like a drag show, um, like contest show, and really interestingly, obviously a phenomenal drag queen. Yeah. And he's released some videos, like TikTok videos, I think it is, in a full smashy red suit, right? And he said you have to adapt, and this is an interesting thing, is you have to adapt to what people are used to seeing. And if you're going into a room, regardless if, and he said, even me, even though I make my money not wearing a suit, if I'm going to, t- if I'm going to talk contract contracts and about money, I wear a suit because we attach money and value to this look through the ages every businessman 
wore a suit mm-hmm. and that's the that's what a breadwinner looks like that's what success looks like you know the smarter your suit the more expensive your suit the more that you're making it um and it is just what we're used to seeing and and we were saying this again before um about the difference for for men and women in this space like I absolutely will kill a suit right absolutely will kill a suit but it's not my natural style it's it's not my authentic self to go to work in a suit um but do I wear a suit to an interview yeah of course I do because a suit to an interview um yeah and actually I feel I don't know about you but if I go for an interview what's on my mind is knowing that I am absolutely brilliant at what I do making sure that the other person really understands that I'm brilliant at what I do and I don't want anything to distract from that message I don't want anything to jar I don't want them to consider anything other than what's coming out of my mouth um and I suppose yeah I I, mm? like one less thing to worry about isn't it like you're not worried that they're being judgmental of what you they're 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 not thinking about what you're wearing because what you're wearing is the norm to an interview. Yeah, absolutely, and it is it's a completely almost viewpoint, isn't it? And I, and I um I once read an article and it was really interesting. It was about the psychology of um and of women in interviews, and it said the best advice they could ever give a woman going for an interview is wear a very good suit, obviously, make it nice and dark right? Don't wear too much jewellery. Don't wear too much makeup. Don't wear too much perfume. And I was like massively insulted by this, right? How dare they? Basically. And then I read to the bottom and there's something that's stuck with me. I always think that you can find a gem, even with people that you don't agree with, you always find a gem in what they're saying. There's always a, a vein of logic, right? We're all human. And even this article I completely disagreed with. And it said, when you leave the room, you don't want to be the one that they reference with the strong perfume. You don't want to be the one that said the one with the big fat diamond ring, the one with the massive head, the one with the bright pink coat. You want them to have nothing to reference, but the content of what you've left in the room. Mm. And I'm like, well, I've got a lot of good content. I have a lot of experience and knowledge. And actually I don't, I don't really care. I think this is the whole thing, right? I don't really care about aesthetics. I'm not that sort of person at all. And I don't want you to worry about my aesthetic when I walk in the room either. I want you to think about me, how good I am. And yeah, I think that takes a lot of pressure off as well, to be honest with you. Just like a black suit, a shirt. I don't wear any makeup. <laughs> and I can go in and pretty much be me, like, but just in a slightly more dressed up way. So still being myself. Um, kind of like, and I might be out of order to say this, kind of like you're being purposely inauthentic unauthentic unauthentic or inauthentic unauthentic in your clothing to be to enable you to be authentic in yourself so i think i think to enable them to hear what i'm saying but it, it very interestingly the probably the reason if i'm being really selfish that that last part of the article works for me is because i can't think of anything worse than piling on makeup wearing big jewelry and wearing a pink coat i can't think of anything worse um <laughs> quite authentic in that moment then yeah right absolutely so the fact that it's like you know do you know what just make sure that your voice is the biggest thing in the room is like great 
because if I'd read guidance that said wear the snazziest outfit with the brightest colours, I'd probably cry on the way to the interview. Um, it's just not. So I think it is it is authentically me. It, it speaks to me in terms of like just I am quite a dark clothes person and I I really want I'm more interested in what you say to me than what you're wearing. 100 percent. Um, and I want somebody at the other end of an interview table to really think about what I'm saying. And, and I will say this, right, and to sort of circle back off the clothing into the authenticity piece. In every interview that I've ever had, I've always gone against, I've always been me and gone against the guidance and never crack a joke, you know, all, all of those sorts of things. I've pretty much always made somebody in my interview laugh. Right. That, you know, just like yeah, on your best behavior, you know, if you want to, if you're going for a corporate job, a FTSE 100, you know, show that you can, I, I don't, I am really honest and I interview back and I ask the questions that I care about and I really do drive the topic. I ask them, why do you care about safety? And typically if you're calling me, there's something different that you're looking for. And I'm interested in that. It's not just like a, you know, a wide campaign system, system things. They've got the right paper, put them in a roll. You've come looking, which means you care about something that I'm doing. And, and now I now I need to look at your values and my values and think like, does this work? What do you need? What do you want? And I love that part. I love, so authentically in life, like being authentic in life, I think is absolutely vital. Being authentic when you go into a safety role, massively authentic. And then to lead properly into where we were going with this about what's authenticity's role in culture change. I think it's probably one of the most important things because by being authentic, you're being honest about who you are. And the higher you are, the more important it is to demonstrate that it's safe to be you Ain't no one telling you what they're doing wrong if you're not there being vulnerable, saying what you got wrong, right? No one is stopping to tell you. And I think in the first version, I spoke to you about a really amazing moment in my recent career where I was out with an engineer all day and we were having a proper laugh and we were looking what we were doing. And he went to do a job and he, was, and he went to do something the proper way. And he was like, do you want to know how we really do this? And I was like, yep, yes, I do. Um, and he not only showed me what they really do, he told me how it led to a million defects. He told me why they do it. He told me about the crappy equipment they've been given, like all of the whole shebang. And the only reason we did that is because from bang on, what I got in his van, A, I'd proper, you know, I was dressed to work and get my hands dirty because that is started as an engineer that's where I'm from talked about life right talked about our kids talked about our family talked about being an engineer just how tough it is to be an engineer when the weather's crap life's crap um and also I had to go first I had to talk about times that I got it wrong I bent the rule I broke the rule and why and how I've definitely experienced management creating rules for me and how that felt and that's a really big can you imagine having your safety director in a van with you telling you about all the things that she's got wrong and how that could backfire and yet he's just like really oh that's a like why did you do that or what happened or what's the rest of the story half a day in 
when I'm talking about him and what he's into and why he cares and what he cares about, he changes. He can tell me authentically why he doesn't give a crap about this job because I've already told him we've all been there. Yeah. You, you can't get culture change if you are paying somebody to care or you've employed somebody that does care. They get very different responses. You 100% missed a very good Project Millennium call today at lunchtime. Should have been at because I wish you were there to say that. Like I'm just like, and I've I remember that story. Now you've told me. I remember you telling me about. It, so I knew that story. And I'm yeah. sitting. Why did I not mention that in today's call? Because we were talking about like we were talking about Brewdog. Finally, I've been trying to talk. Yeah. about You've been trying to talk about it forever, for sure. For a year. Um, I don't even think it happened a year ago, but for so long I've wanted to talk about Brewdog. And the question I had off the back of Brewdog was, do we allow leaders to fail as much as we allow the shop floor to fail? That was my my kind of question. And this led into a whole kind of, well, it went it went everywhere. This it was Nuts. one of those great chats where you're just like... Yeah. One minute we're talking about politics and legislation, then we're talking about society, and then we're talking about like Brewdog, and then we're talking about Grenfell, and it was just, it, I was just like, you know, what I'm like, I was like, this is awesome, and, <laughs> buzzing. Yeah, it was such a good chat, and we went like half an hour over, and and I just wish because there was one point where it kind of came up about the. The stereotypical, like the safety profession can't bend the rule, the prof- professional can't bend the rules and break the rules because we're the ones that make the rules in a way. And, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing massively, but to that point is it's just like we need to model the behaviours that we want. So if we want them to be really honest with us and say the rules don't work and I'm breaking them then we need to tell them that we've also broke rules and it's okay to break the rules. So that's how I know that the rules don't work. Absolutely. And you said something there that really resonated with me. It was because we make the rules. That's fundamentally part of the problem is we should be making rules with the guys doing the job, with the girls doing the job. Um, All that thing about creating safety. The reason I say creating safety is because literally the guy doing the job down the hole, up the pole, you know, pushing the roll cage, whatever. He knows what the risk is. He knows there is a good way and a bad way to do this. He knows what hurts his back and what doesn't. You don't. You sat in a chair, right? You don't. And so you absolutely have to allow people to fail and to share that experience because then they're going to say to you, George, you know, I want to know what I really do. Mm. Yep. I remember reading a book a long time ago, I'm thinking a very long time ago, and they'd had the line creating safety. And I was like, oh, I really like that. Yeah, creating safety. I love it. And now I really don't like it, actually. Um, I, I actually don't like the phrase creating safety. Main, And this is probably me being pedantic, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I actually prefer saying, right, what do we do is we facilitate safety because safety is created every day by the workforce. And we just, yes, we just facilitate that and we try to narrow the gap between the top and the, and the sharp and the blunt. Um, so I, I think we facilitate improvement. I don't think we create safety at all. 
So I think I, I, I think whichever way you cut it, if as long as as a safety professional and more even more importantly a safety leader, which means you are creating a direction for an organisation and all the people that follow it, um, as long as there are a couple of steps in there, which is a, I'm absolutely in line with the front line, I'm listening, and I'm creating whether it's the process, the procedure or recreating right if if it's just been done in an office before now and then you are industrializing that so everybody can learn from the best way to do it It, whether it's facilitating creating enabling all of it is positive as long as that lesson gets to those people can bring it like that's that's what needs to happen yeah and i i did say i was being pedantic yeah for sure but it's good to be pedantic because it means you care. And, and I and I I totally get what you're saying, and I agree. It's about. I think it comes back to what kind of what you said earlier. It, it for authenticity's role in in culture change, and um, so what is it in culture change? And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier, where basically, well, how I think culture is is heavily influenced. What I think culture is is heavily influenced by Carsten Bush and. Dave Snowden, in that basically culture is is a result of interactions over time. So those mm-hmm. interactions create influence our behaviors, and our behaviors influence the, the the culture. As does those those relationships and those those interactions. So it's kind of I think I showed you the little infographic I made after we spoke last time. I think we ended up going down this route and that if you imagine that the culture influences the interactions, that the interactions influence the behavior, uh, sorry, the culture, mm-hmm. uh, there's loads of other stuff that influence the interaction, authenticity being one of those. So if you want authenticity within your organization, you have to model authenticity, which then becomes part of your interaction, which then defines your culture. So if you want to see authenticity, you've got to do authenticity to then see authenticity, if that makes sense. Of course. And there's a whole thing in there which is about going first. And I think that is um, the real role. That's really our role, right, is the reason we do podcasts, the reason we go on panels, the reason we share our failures and our successes in equal amount. Is because we want everybody on here who is becoming a safety leader, leading a team, doing a job, whatever it is, to understand it's safe to say we got it wrong. It's safe to say we broke the rule and we really learned from that. It's safe to say this is really hard, right? And there's no magic bullet that's going to sort it all out. And it's also safe to say even the most simplistic of things, which is the most important thing you can do as a leader is listen more than you talk, right? Understand. It's safe to just be you, share your opinion. And what comes with this is when you feel safe, you also are creating an environment where we can challenge each other. And when you air your opinion, if I disagree with you, and like we do all the time, right? I have a slightly different view. We know there is nothing dangerous in that. And I think before now and in fairly hierarchical or heavy organizations, it feels dangerous to put your hand up and say, I got it wrong. I did it wrong. Or can you imagine somebody saying I do it wrong all the time? Um, And that's because you've created something rubbish for us. 
you have to be so safe to say that. And that's where the nugget for the culture changes. For me, culture is, you know, the collective, how we act, how we think, how we do, behave, speak. All of that is culture. And we have to create the space for people to talk. We have to create the space for people to act on what they see. We have to create learning and good conversations. And you can't do that by looking at your job description Monday to Friday, nine to five and saying, I've done my A to Z. I think I've cracked it. You have to be where. And I think that this may be it, right? The most incredible people I think on the planet work in the field that they really feel they have purpose in and therefore naturally are being authentic about what they do for a living. Um, and Project Miletium is really interesting for me in that you, ha you have formed a group of people that have a collective vision of we, we want to be ourselves, we want to be safe to speak and we want to create safe environments at all these organisations where everyone can say, do you know, we just, we don't do that actually I know you wrote that down and we should do that but it's garbage um and I don't do it but what I can do is I can tell you about this tool that I bought from B&Q for four quid and it does a really great job great should we just buy those um so I think I, I think um authenticity purpose and having the right people and that's why it's really important in the next episode to talk about team, right? Having the right people in your roles, having the right people that are genuinely interested in their remit and creating the change and creating difference. What if, Crystal, someone, someone's authentic self is not the type of person that you want in your organisation or your team? I find this a really easy question. I really, I, I've got a really simple answer. It means they're working in the wrong place. Yeah. So, so I, I can honestly say to you, I've now worked in, I can't remember how, like uh, seven industries, right? Pretty major ones. Nuclear, rail, transport, logistics, telecoms, retail, like the whole shebang. And they're all, there are organizations where your true self that will sit at a board meeting and just go, uh, I know no one's saying anything, but I've got, I've got something to say. The minute you know that that's not welcome, the minute I know that that's not welcome, I know that our values don't align. I know that you're hierarchical. I know that you're not interested in insight. I know that you're not interested in the time I've spent on the, on the shop floor. I know that I'm not in the right place. Um, and ages and ages ago, I did a, an Inspire event with Acre. And I was talking about my journey through, it was about, oh, must God, must have been about six years ago now. And I said in that, never be scared to leave if you don't feel welcome. You should be where you're celebrated and not where you're tolerated is one of my favorite phrases ever, right? And I say that to Emily and I say that to everybody in my life, be where you're celebrated. And that's both personal and um, in work, not where you're tolerated. And I said, never be scared to leave. Because it means your values are not aligned to the organizations. And about a year later, I had a knock on the door, like through LinkedIn, and somebody had quit their job, walked out of that session. So never be, never be. I, I now think about the shadow that I cast when I talk, right? I was quit their job. Yeah. It was a big moment. Um, and the organization had asked her to lie on a report 
there'd been a really big accident and they basically threatened her and said if you don't lie on this report like you're not welcome here and she'd been really she was pretty young and she said and I just listened to you and just thought I'm actually I hear the reason this hurts so much is because I care and actually you made me realize that I'm just not where I should be because they don't care which means I should need to be somewhere that I care and they care and then we can all work together um and so I I think 100% it's if you can tell that really early on it's a gift don't give your tenure your time your expertise and um, you know what I'm saying right your that your talent and your resource to an organization that does not value you and does not align to what you're after because there are so many companies that want exactly you right Rich I mean if we're a bit early to end the podcast, but that would have been a great place to. <laughs> you should have you should have left that to the end. Sorry, pal. That's it. Sorry, we'll oh. do we'll do a a a, pri- a primary finish, and then we'll do a follow up. And I I think that's so powerful for a reason. I remember it wasn't so long ago for me. I was really struggling to get work uh, to find a job, and um, and I remember a recruiter. Saying and and I'm not tiring all recruiters with the same brush. Mm-hmm. Loads of recruiters messaging me and being like, "We're not all like that, you know. It's not all recruiters." Yeah, okay, okay, fine. Um, but this one recruiter, actually, there's more than one, but this one particular company was the worst. And um, and she said a couple of things. First thing that I was just like, "We are not right for each other." She said, "Um, maybe, uh, maybe you could like, I don't know, like." take the podcast down for a little bit whilst you're looking for a job or, or, or maybe if you can maybe cut some of the swearing out. And I was just like, no, because that that's me, man. Like they're just words. Like, and if, and if an employer or you find those words offensive that much that you don't want to employ me, we're not right for each other anyway. And I don't want to work for you because I, I'm not going to be able to work somewhere for any more than a couple of months without dropping the F-bomb. Like, trust me, it's coming yeah. up one probably because that's just how I, that's just how I was born and raised in in in, in construction sites and builders that fucking swore all the time and that's my yeah. so I was like ain't gonna happen it, that ain't happen. Yeah. second one was what did she say she said oh yeah she went you've uh you've, you've had a lot of jobs she went, you've had a lot of jobs and I went yeah I'm I'll, I'll be honest with you I'm aware of that and I'm aware what that looks like on a CV but I've just, I'll be honest with you, I found, some, I found it hard to find somewhere to settle down. I've, I've really struggled to find somewhere where our visions, our long-term visions aligned. Um, and, and that's, I, I actually see that as a benefit, as a, as a, as a, benefit, as a positive. Mm. Not have that foresight and that vision, and I, be, I don't fight it. And, and I'm a, I am a flight person anyway, but like, so I'm always like, nah, see you later, I'm off. Like, I won't stick around. But I kind of see that as a positive for me. I also am envious of those people that fight and stick and, and keep going and fair play to you. Um, sometimes if you know it ain't right, it ain't right. And, and I've been maybe a bit unfortunate with some and the long-term visions haven't worked. And, and she was just like, mm, yeah, well, long and short, James, it just looks like your job hopping. And I was just like, fucking 50s called. They want their recruiter back. Like, Jesus Christ. And I just said, look, I said, look, just take my name off your records because if that's the clients you've got, then we're not right for each other. And she was like, oh, no, well, no, we'll keep you on the record. And I was like, 
I was like, don't bother, don't bother. She was like, no, we will. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But it's not. I won't pick up your call. She never rang me again. Never, not phone call from there ever again. And I'm so okay with that. Like, I'm so Mm -hmm. okay with that. And ultimately, I think, and that's why I come back to that original question. Like, I think we're not ready for this. Like, because Mm -hmm. people struggle with it. They struggle with it. Like, I remember starting a podcast and I remember a guy I used to work with. He was like, oh, yeah, I really liked your uh, your video, but can I give you one bit of advice? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, don't wear a cap. Maybe maybe put a shirt and a tie on, look a bit more professional. And I was just like, I was like, mate, it's called rebranding safety. Like, it's in the name. Like, <laughs> come on. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm... I'm hopeful and I think that we have to we we if we want to be authentic and we want to see more authenticity we have to go first right for um, sure but that's why it's called leading not following yeah yeah there's a long way to go like to get to get where I'd like to see it because I don't even see I don't even see how 100% authenticity could actually work because it feels a bit chaotic as well like all these different pers- personalities, like everyone's got trauma. Everyone's got mental health challenges. Everyone's got personal issues and, 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 and professional issues. And then we're all going to bring our authentic selves to the boardroom. And I'm like, I don't think we're ready to deal with that. Well, yeah. not the boardroom, like the van, the cafeteria, the, the water cooler, whatever. Um, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I want oh. it. I'm not sure we're ready for it. I got uh, your trigger in so many like firework question exploratory moments just in um so I was thinking as you were talking about you know everybody has their baggage right everybody has their stuff and their attributes and their behaviors and their triggers um and I was thinking about um the fact that it's like a family right? When you have large, it's no different to your family. You know, if you have a million siblings, Emily's dad is one of 13 siblings um, and each of them with their own personality and quirks and stuff, you know, and they all, they all get on. And I think there's something in when you are allowed to be authentic, you're also allowing somebody to care and you are having a much more real conversation. So if I have a chat with an engineer in my old life, um, and he tells me how he really works. I am, he's also allowing me to take care of him. That's a big deal because he's telling me now so I can help. And that only happens when you let the wall down. It only happens when you feel safe to, when you can be authentic. And so I have to be safe for you to be able to, you know, poke at the bruise and just say is this real is she being really real is she, you know is this a real story because we, we know the people in safety that will tell the story that's not their story and they all just sell the car as it were um and actually I care about the individual uh, end off and I say in every interview that I go into I'm here for the you realize I'm not I'm not here for anything else other than the people they get home every day I win I don't care about anything else and I don't budge I don't budge on that right and we we might have war I don't budge everybody gets home and 
I think your whole point, the other thing you were saying when you were saying about speaking to a recruiter, um, you being yourself makes it harder for them to sell the car, right? Because there's a little template that you should fit into. But actually what you're doing, I, I think... I genuinely think what you're doing in terms of your podcast and Project Militium and all of the things that you do is so important. It's probably why you've been nominated for uh, uh, um, most influential person in safety 2021, by the way. Right. I'll show you. <laughs> Thank you. Right. But because you're going first and you're demonstrating that there is not a template that we fit into to do a great job. How you look and how you sound doesn't dictate how much you can care about people. It doesn't dictate. Um, and I I remember speaking to a recruiter myself who phoned me and was like, you know, are you on the market? No. And this was several years ago. And you know what? He asked me what salary I was after. No word of a lie, James. He said, you're not worth that much. What a prick. Well, for sure. I will now, I will not, right? And uh, and it's because he was like, he had a checklist. He was talking down his checklist. And it was like, have you managed a team? Check. Um, have you managed a budget? Blah. And it, it reached this point where we were talking about how they managed a the budget or not. And I said, no. I said, all the organizations I've worked for, we have a central budget for safety. You do a business case and you apply for your money. So I haven't ever had to. Um, and he said to me, the salary that you're after, um, if you haven't managed a budget, doesn't exist. You're not worth that much money. And I said, do you know what my response to him was? My very authentic response if it's was... Not, you prick, I'm putting the phone down, then I don't want to hear it. <laughs> it, was, it was better. I said to him, look down my CV. You tell me one organization that I have worked for that I have not dropped the harm of the people that work for that organization. Because I don't know if you if you've realized, but this is safety. And my qualifications in safety, forget the paper, forget the budget, are getting people home. And I think you'll see on my CV that every single job I've done, I've dropped harm by a minimum of 50%, which means I'm highly qualified to ask for and actually what was a fairly basic salary. Um, and I said, I think you need to realize that you're recruiting safety professionals, which is about the safety of people, not about budget management. Um, and I remember going into an interview not long after that and having that insecurity on my sleeve and in my very authentic self said, have you got any questions? Yep. <laughs> uh, I've never managed a budget before and I have had feedback to say that that might be a problem. And genuinely, the feedback in that interview was, uh, why would that be a problem? <laughs> you, you have amazing people in your team that will do all of that stuff for you as long as you know what you've got and where it's going. You can stay within the budget. And, um, you know, is, are you getting people home? That's what we care about. And I thought, and there, there's that alignment, right? Right there. Okay. We're on the same page. Um, and then the last thing that you triggered in my mind while saying that was a role that I was in where I was told by one member of a board and everybody was totally, because I am different, right? I am different. I don't concentrate on paper. I concentrate on people and I'm with them. If you phone me, I'm with them. That's just how I roll. And I had a side conversation, I got asked to have a side conversation and I was told 
um, I don't like your style of safety because nobody's scared of you. Mm. And right. And you should be like the police when you walk into a room. People should sit up straight and be scared. And I responded after being um, told basic, oh, for sure, just like horrendous. And I just said, listen, the minute I walk into a room and people go stiff, I'm failing because I'm here for culture, not compliance. Jesus Christ. There's another one, yeah. Boom. Another mic drop. A mic drop sound on this. Uh. <laughs> you should get one, but I think you're right. This, it's. I'm glad that your feedback to that person, and actually anybody listening to listening to this, because this is what it's about, right? So, what can you give your audience? If any of you are in a job right now, and you feel jarred, and you feel like you cannot be you, and you cannot do your style of safety. Right. The world is changing. Safety is changing. There is place for you. Brush up your CV, get out there and talk about your style of safety and you will land somewhere that matters and it will matter to you because you'll matter to them. Well, <clears throat> you keep you keep dropping these bombs, Chris. So it's a bit early as well. I mean, we've still got maybe another 10, 15 minutes ago. <laughs> Before we're hitting time where, where you need to start dropping bombs. <laughs> I get to drop the bomb like a bomb. No, a bomb sound would be quite bad, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah. I know. I, I appreciate it. I think that would be excellent. Like, a, like there's a moment, something to celebrate a moment, which is like, that's your, that's your moment. That needs, but yeah, I believe it. I, um, yeah, like, I think what a lot we've, a lot of what we talked about a lot of what we touched on here, it, it made very kind of clear that authenticity is heavily dependent on psychological safety, which we yeah. talked about in the last episode. Um, again, I think that we come to this, we come to this, this, this big dilemma is how do we build this kind of softer culture that's more psychologically safe, that's a bit more authentic and so on. And, and, and I do think people are looking for this step one, step two, step three, step four. And, and I keep coming back to this point all the time. Like it's about interactions. Like it's mm. about interactions. If you want to build authenticity but you want and you want to build psychological safety, well, you want to build authenticity, you, you first need to build psychological safety. So there's your first step, right? But you build them both the same way is via interaction. Like the way you stuff happening and the way that you interact with people is somebody saying something like boss you know we're not going to hit that target that's your opportunity to create psychological safety in that moment because they've just been authentic with you they've just been vulnerable with you and said we're going to hit that target how you react now defines the next interaction then defines and and onwards and onwards and onwards and onwards and is whether you turn around and go, oh, fucking hell, mate, like, we're going to get a big shit for this. Boom. Cycle yeah. safety is gone. Next time I'm not going to hit a deadline. I'm going to tell you they're not going to hit the deadline and I'm going to either leave the company or, or, or I'm going to break rules or whatever to make it work because you've told me that I can't break current. So if, but if you turn around and you're like, okay, what, what, what's the problem? You know, what, what what's up? What, how, how can I help? How can we how can we get this to work? Because 
look, I'm I'm in a I'm in a difficult place as a boss. My boss wants this deadline to work, but I I get where you are. So like, mm. how can we make this work? Because my boss is not very going to let me be authentic. So like, I'm just thinking about like, what would I be like if I don't have that authenticity and psychological safety above me, but I want to instill it in my team? Then I would be like, okay, cool. How can I help you? And yes. Try to do that uh, to create that psychological safety within us, within our team, because eventually. I think the one thing that makes businesses listen and businesses prick their ears up and go, oh, okay, what's this psychological safety stuff all about? What's this authenticity? It's success. They'll see a, a team be successful and sustainable. They'll see, you know, what, why is why is uh, operations got a turnover rate of like two people a day, but your team, James, has got a turnover rate of like one person every 10 years? And I'm like, well, maybe maybe it's because of this. And they start to prick their ears up. So I think I acknowledge that people won't be. The reason I kind of made up that hypothetical story is because I acknowledge that I don't think you know, a lot of workplaces don't have this. So I'm trying to think of like, how could you do it when you're not getting it yourself? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I suppose one of the one of the things I would I would always advise, I've had an awful lot of do you want to know? what really happens do you want to know the truth and actually even had people tell me super personal things about them because they've never felt cared about um literally in decades and decades of working for organizations and I think it hard I mean this is it right if you're authentic yourself and you put yourself in a room in my experience and it's only two decades of it right and there is like a billions of years on the planet or whatever put yourself in a room honestly it doesn't take long before somebody puts their hand up that never would before somebody asks a question before somebody says you want to get a coffee before somebody says uh presses the boundaries of that authenticity is it real they come closer they pay more attention i think going first being vulnerable saying when you messed up 100 percent it, you have to be vulnerable. I mean, that's the key part of authenticity, right? Authenticity isn't about showing your best shiny self. Authenticity is about showing it's the warts and all, especially when you're building and, you know, rebranding safety. So let's keep it safety, right? If you are building a team and that team are supposed to change the world, as in your organization's world, you 100% have to stand at the top and say, I've got it wrong. I mess up. I you know, and be vulnerable so your team can be vulnerable with you. So when they go out, they feel comfortable being vulnerable with the front line and everybody in between and everybody just tells 10% more truth and the scary truths, the I've messed up because that's the stuff we can say, right, so what do we change then, guys? What do we What do we need? Um, yeah, I, I think step one in anything culture change is this authenticity piece is lean in be vulnerable be you and some of that can I just say this really wonderful thing that we work on where I am now is about giving real feedback good or bad right being really honest and authentic about what just didn't and didn't did and didn't work and it's the most powerful conversations that I've ever had um, about real-time feedback and I asked somebody about how they thought they were perceived recently how do you think you're perceived 
um, they gave me ABC. And I was like, well, would it be interesting to understand that it's, that is not how you are perceived, but I know you have that potential. And when we go into this room right now, I know you want to exhibit all three of those qualities and you can. So show it off, right? Go in, spread wings, absolutely show your caliber, mate, because you can. Transformational. Yeah. It's a cat. My side. Oh, I thought it was my, I thought it was my daughter. Uh, I was like, I it was mine for a minute, yeah. But... Um, no, I, I think I was going to, it's funny you came to the point about vulnerability because I think the last time we spoke, I hadn't watched any, or, or even really heard of a lady called Brene Brown. I don't know. If mm-hmm. I've only watched the one keynote thingy that, that's on uh, Netflix called To Courage, I think it's called. Um, but I, I posted on it on LinkedIn. I was like, uh, why has no one never told me about this lady before? Um, yeah, she's fire. This, this lady like she is awesome and and ultimately it, it reminded me of something it reminded me of her that that when you were talking about it and then you literally said vulnerability the next second and then it reminded me of something where mid-covid I was in an organization and um and I was talking in a, in a situation around leadership and and I can't remember what the question was but it led to this point where I was asked to give advice on how we could have better interactions with our workforce. And I, and I said, ultimately, they, they, you need to be vulnerable. And I said, you need to get up and you need to get in the call and say, hey, if another lockdown happens or if this keeps going for another two years, three years, whatever, you know, I don't know the answer. You know, what's this going to affect our, our bank account? You know, how, what's this going to look like long term for the, com- for the company? I don't know the answer to that because I've never dealt with a pandemic before. And you know what? If people judge you for the fact that you don't know how to deal with a pandemic, then fuck them because no one dealt with a pandemic before in this nation anyway. Um, Obviously people have around the world, but you know, in, in, in the notion of my environment, I was in, you know, I wouldn't expect you to have no, to know how to deal with a, and the the response I'll never forget this was, was actually quite eye opening. probably should have, seen that as a red flag at the time um was to turn around and said oh I'm, I'm not sure that's vulnerability and i was like what would you define as vulnerability then and they were like yeah not that like i'm not sure i'd really want to say to the staff that i would um that i would that i don't know what what to do next and i was like so what you're telling me then is that not actually that that's not not what you think vulnerability is what you're telling me is that you don't feel comfortable being vulnerable and I'm like, oh, no, I'm comfortable being vulnerable. And I was like, well, why don't you do that then? Why yeah. don't I don't know how to deal with it? And I'm like, well, because I'm not sure we need that. I said, okay, cool. So do you know how to deal with this then? What happens if this pandemic goes on for another four years? When oh, I don't know. I was like, okay, so you've just been vulnerable because you've told me you don't know and you're in a leadership position and I'm, and I'm expecting you to know because you're a leader. But it's okay for you not to know. And they're like, no, I don't think that's what vulnerability is. And I'm like, okay, so what do you think vulnerability is then? And, and we yeah. can round in circles and, and wouldn't give me an answer. But basically the hierarchy spoke and said, we're not doing that. And they didn't do that. And it's very interesting then that I don't know whether that had an effect or, or what, but about a year and a half later, they did something else quite big um, within the organization. and. 
the kind of next level of management were like, so what, what's next? And they were like, well, we actually don't know. And I was like, and this was the same leader. And I was like, mm-hmm. hello, this is interesting. I didn't think I'd ever hear that come out of your mouth. And, um, and I'm like, we haven't really spoke about this since like a year and a half ago. Um, so I was like, that's really interesting. And then she was like, you know, we need to sort this stuff out and we, we want you to help us um, work out what the next step looks like. And I'm like, okay. That's, that's vulnerability. I like that. I really like that. Well done. And it's a shift. It's a massive shift because you did something in a room, in a closed room, and you showed humility because you were talking about your vulnerability. That person was clearly not comfortable with vulnerability and yet had pondered on it clearly, learned from the conversation, mate. You created change. Well, I don't, I mean, it'd be nice if it was that. Maybe it was. Um I'm not sure if it was, but maybe you can plant a seed and other people can water it, but planting the seeds, the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. But interestingly, here's a really interesting bit, right? And comes back to my original skeptic point around the world's not ready for this management. Management. What? Like it. Didn't like it. They wanted the answer from the leadership. They wanted you to have all the answers. And I was like, Wow. Now this is, and I'm kind of like sitting here, like not getting involved. And I'm just like writing notes, nothing to do with the announcement. Like my notes are like, hmm, leader vulnerable, manager didn't like it, post um, like pre existing culture question mark. Like I'm just making loads of notes and I'm just analyzing the shit out of what's going on right now. I'm just like, yeah. it's fascinating. Like I wish. I had a sociology master's because so I could actually analyze this stuff properly. I sit down. I love it. Yeah. And I'm looking and I'm like, hmm. So then I start pondering on it for like, like, this is happening to me literally like the last couple of months. And I'm like pondering this for a while. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, do you know what? It's because for so long in an organization, we have demonized vulnerability to a point where we now are so used to being dictated to that when a, when, when a leader decides, actually, we're going to be more modern and not be di- a dictator, we're going to be vulnerable and we're going to be honest and we're going to consult with you and do all the things that we should do. It was like, it was like you'd not laid the groundworks of psychological safety, you've not laid the groundworks of this culture for them to be ready. It's kind of like you've gone, it's kind of like you've gone like, you know, I've just passed my driving test and you've gone, here's a Ferrari. You know, here's a Formula One car. And it was just like, you can't go from naught to 60. And it was fascinating to watch because I'm like, yes, you've done exactly what I want you to do. And then I was like, oh, hang on. That's not the reaction I expect. The reaction is, yeah. And it was just eye-opening for me. And I, and I think the reason I kind of say that is because I think a big part of this is like, don't, don't listen to this and go to work tomorrow and be like, right, vulnerable we need you to be vulnerable lead let's say you're in a leadership position or you're influencing leaders i want you to be vulnerable i want you to do this because actually first you need to take a step back zoom the lens out and understand where you are as an organization because if you want to get that then that's fine you might not be ready for it right now so you might need a little bit of a journey to build that foundation and i'm just that's the lesson i had 
Yeah, I, I think there's a nice lead into vulnerability and it starts with humility, not to play on words too much. But I think you you start absolutely by deflect. So in that same scenario for me, right, I'm thinking about your organisation that's really autocratic and you have to know the answer. And even if you don't know the answer, we will. And the so interesting thing is a lot of organisations will settle for a bullshit answer that doesn't have any content over, I don't know, right? So I'd rather somebody feign an answer and not give a real one than just say, I don't know. And for me, that whole journey to vulnerability starts with that humility piece, which is when you start going into that room, like you say, we don't want anyone walking into a boardroom tomorrow or into a meeting and just being like, boom, on the table and everyone being like, ah, freaking out. Um, But start by being really honest about what makes you great. So if you're a leader, and you're used to having all the answers, be really real. Start with, do you know what? I have got an answer for that. And I'm really lucky to have blah, blah in my team who is like crucial. And they were filling me in this. And so I've got an answer for you. Start being really real with the fact that there's no I in team and start pointing to other people. Start pointing outside that room and gently take people to a place where they say, you've mentioned you know, Bob a couple of times, he's my right-hand man. And I tell you what, he will have the answer. So I'll, I'll get back to you. I'll take it offline now. I don't know, Bob will get the answer for me. You're still saying, I don't know, but you've allowed people to get used to the fact that you're being really honest about the fact that I am made up by a team of incredible people and I'll exercise them in this room. And I'm going to pay, like pay, you know, honor them in this room. And the fact that the reason I know the answer is because of them, not to me. And then you start gently getting towards, I don't know, but I will ask my awesome team. Literally on my out of office, I say, thank you for contacting me. I will leave, but I have an awesome team that are here to help you contact this person, this person, this person, because we can't do it alone. You can stand on any stage you like. If no one takes anything away or does anything, it's pointless. You can run any team you like. If you spend no time with them, you don't create humility and praise and really authentic spaces where you can just say, Christopher, I think that garbage. What are you doing? Oh, God, right. Why is it garbage? Give me the context, guys. Challenge it. Break it apart. Um, you're not creating change. You can't. It's, it takes more than one mouth to, to, to generate change. Well, there you go. That'll do. That was a good one. And it was just about time to nip this in the bud. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I think that was a really, really good point. And I think humility for me is, is something I didn't think about actually until you mentioned it just then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I think is significantly lacking. Like how many stories have you heard and probably experienced in your own career of somebody stealing your idea or somebody else's everywhere, isn't it? Like I, a- I can't pick a person that hasn't told me uh, they stole my work story. Exactly. And and it is everywhere. And I think there is such a power in in just being so honest and just saying, hey, I couldn't do this without Barbara. Like I am. I try to do it as much as I can. This podcast, even though Sherry works for the podcast now, even before she worked for the podcast, this podcast would not exist. This YouTube channel would not exist without her. And, and I think it's really important to do that because. Why do I do that is because I have actually rarely experienced that with my own managers through the years. Yeah. I've been sat in a room 
with other people and your manager go, I'm, I'm doing all this work and I want them. I want them to turn around and say, that was James's. This, Crushed it. I nailed that. And that, yep. I couldn't think off the top of my head many times that I've actually experienced that. Um, and, and I think if you're a manager and you're going, oh, I always tell my, I always tell my uh, team that they're doing a really good job. If you're doing it in a closed room, you're, you're, you're 40% there, but you need to be doing it in a room with the other managers whilst they're there. Like, For sure. Saying, hey, no, that was Crystal. I could not have done this without Crystal. So I just want to say thank you very much, Crystal. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's really powerful. And I didn't even think of that until you mentioned it, but I think that's such a powerful point. Well, my, um, I have a weekly, it's, it's now gone to monthly, because um, just team vote, just being really real, getting the feedback and weekly was too much. Uh, um, now a monthly call with all my team, everybody. And I start with virtual high fives. Who in the team has helped you crush it this month? And who do you want to say thanks to? And literally, it was, it's gone from fairly quiet and awkward to like, you know, this person's helped me and that, thank you so much. The, the getting people used to praise and not, not just saying it, but receiving it as well, that's difficult, um, has been, I think, brilliant for the team. But just, we're not, we're not used to it saying it wasn't just me. No, because inherently, I think it's a real nice and, and gentle way to introduce vulnerability, because by saying I couldn't have done this or thank you. Thank you, Crystal, for your help with that. I'm showing vulnerability that I needed help. So you're kind yeah. of subconsciously, but like gently introducing vulnerability into a, con- a vulnerability philosophy, I suppose, into yeah. the, I don't know, psyche in a way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Interesting. I never thought of it like that. So thank you very much, Chris. Well, that was a great one to end on. Uh, thank you very much. Um, do you want to just give us a quick insight into what the next and final episode of the Courtly Co-host is? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you everybody for listening and please join us for the next podcast, which is all about the safety team. And we will be diving into in the modern age, what does it need to look, look like? Who needs to be in that team? Is paper important, etc.? So please join us to think to think through and explore um, what a modern safety team should look like. Awesome, and I can guarantee because it's already recorded, we're not we're not drinking in the next one. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Crystal. Thanks, mate. Cheers, James. Okay, peeps. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, unfortunately, that means that the next one is the last one, which is a real shame. Um, but looking forward to it we're going to talk about the structure of safety and the team and we actually have a little bit of conversation as to wider structure of the profession as well which you know is a kind of soapbox moment for me uh, as are many things let's be honest come on James don't forget to check out Paradigm Human Performance plus Shane Bush as well website email address phone number in the description below and the learning organization webinar but if you're not sure you don't want to commit to that stuff and that's fine just follow Teresa and Paradigm uh, on LinkedIn and just keep an eye on them because they're doing some amazing stuff and trust me if you're listening to Rebrand and Safety you're going to want to know what Paradigm are doing if you're a safety professional risk professional health professional health safety risk professional quality whatever we are nowadays all of those letters um, and you're looking to improve your professional development then check out projectmeletium.com website in the description below if you want to get on regular conversations in a safe private environment uh, full of other 
high performance safety and risk professionals, then this is the place for you. We have philosophical conversations. We have regular community conversations. We have a book club. We have an event every quarter. Um, I have a private LinkedIn group. So just a safe space for you to help solve those problems, whether it's your career, whether it's your day job, whatever it is. So go check Project Meletium out. Trust me, you will love it if you're listening to Rebranding Safety. And finally, if you want to do some work with us, go check out rebrandingsafety.com. There's loads of stuff we can we can do, whether it's help you with your risk management, health, safety, whether it's increasing your brand awareness through influencer marketing, or whether it's a keynote for your event or your private workshop at work. Whatever it is, we can help you, I am sure. We love working with our audience, so go and check that out as well. But otherwise, I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.